Welcome to this Ramadan episode of Stories from Palestine podcast. My name is Crystal. I'm a Dutch woman married to a Palestinian, and we live with our two children in Beit Safafa between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. I've been married for eight years now, and before that, I used to come to Palestine since 2016. So I have experienced quite a lot of months of Ramadan in Palestine, and I have not always felt involved with the traditions and with the religion of Islam in general, but this has changed and evolved over the years. I personally was raised in a Christian family, and I left the church when I was about 18 years old. I think I found myself more in activism and human rights groups more than in a particular religion. I did know Muslims in the Netherlands, and I also was aware of some of their traditions around the holy months of Ramadan, but really only from a distance. And after I got married and I moved in to live with my family-in-law, because they live upstairs and we live downstairs, but it's the same building, then I started really to experience the months of Ramadan from the inside. And I have to admit that for a long period of time, I was a little bit rebellious. Actually, I've been always rebellious against anything that I felt that it was imposed on me. And that happened also during, for example, the Christmas holidays. The same thing happened to me during Ramadan that I felt it's something that isn't mine and I didn't want to participate It's not that I was against it or that I was against the beliefs or the religion of Islam, but more that I just, yeah, I felt that I didn't choose it. I have to participate and I, I don't want to. And I think I still didn't completely grow out of my rebelliousness, although I'm already 43, but I'm getting better and I'm getting more mature. And this semester at the Bethlehem Bible College, where I study the tour guide program, We also have a course about Islam. We have a teacher called Dr. Barakat Fauzi. He's very nice. He's really giving us a good insight into the history of Islam, the religion, beliefs, the habits, and also the relation between Islam and other monotheistic religions. But for me, it's been a bit hard sometimes to follow up because this course is in Arabic And even though I am okay in Arabic, يعني بدبر حالي بالعربي, بس العربي الفصحى يعني مش زابط معي. I I didn't manage with the classic Arabic, and especially that it's when it's related to the Quran, it's really hard for me to follow. So with Dr. Barakat, we decided that instead of doing the usual exam, that I would make podcast episode about Islam. And in that episode, I would share everything that I'm learning, the things I learned from him when I listened to him, but also some of the suggested reading materials. And that episode about Islam, I will still have to make it and I will try to prepare it towards the end of the month of Ramadan. But one aspect of the Islam is the fasting during the month of Ramadan. And I will talk about that in this episode And you will also be virtually taking part in the iftar that my mother-in-law prepared for the extended family last Friday.
So keep listening. First, I'll give you an explanation about Ramadan, and then you will be able to experience the iftar with us on the dinner table in Beit Safafa. Let's start by answering some questions about what is the meaning of the month of Ramadan, what happens in that month, what is the importance of the month of Ramadan. So first of all, the Muslim calendar is not the same as the Gregorian calendar that is now universally used. The Gregorian calendar is not the only existing calendar. There have been so many different calendars that were used and some of them are still used. Think, for example, about the Hebrew calendar or the Chinese calendar, the Zoroastrian calendar. Calendars are either based on seasons, on solar, on lunar, or on solely lunar. Now, I'm not a specialist in calendars, so I will not try to explain you exactly, but there is a difference. So if we take a solar year, then we are looking at the time it takes for the Earth to go around the Sun, and that is 365 days. When you look at a lunar year, you are looking at the full cycles of the Moon, 12 full cycles of the Moon, and that is about 354 days. So there is a difference between the solar and the lunar calendar of about 11 days. And the Islamic calendar, or the Hijri calendar as it's called, is a lunar calendar. So that means that it doesn't stay aligned with the seasons. So every year, the month of Ramadan falls about 10 or 11 days earlier than the previous year. The month of Ramadan is the ninth month of the Islamic calendar. The calendar is also called the Hijri calendar. And this Hijri calendar started counting from the year 622. Now, what important event happened in 622? It is the year in which the Prophet Muhammad, who was from Mecca, he had to leave Mecca, his hometown, because of the people who did not believe in the revelations that he was receiving from God, he was receiving these revelations that are later collected in the Holy Quran from the angel, the archangel Gabriel, the same one that the Christians know from the Bible. And in Arabic, he's called Jibril. So there were people that were persecuting him and his followers, and he had to leave the city of Mecca. He was invited by people from a city called Yatrib. And Muhammad and his followers emigrated to live in that city under more peaceful circumstances. And then they renamed Yatrib to Al-Madina Al-Munawwara, which means the city of the enlightened one or the luminous city. And later Al-Madina Al-Munawwara was shortened to just Medina. So this emigration from Mecca to Medina, which in Arabic is called Hijra, this is what gave the name to the Islamic calendar. So we start counting from the year 622, and we take into account that the Hijri calendar is 11 days shorter every year than the Gregorian calendar. So if you calculate it, you will find that we are now in the year 1442, of the Hijri calendar. Now back to the month of Ramadan, the ninth month of the Hijri calendar. And why is it such an important month? Because it is considered to be the month 
in which the Prophet Muhammad started to receive for the first time the revelations from God through the angel Jibril. Muhammad did not get the whole Quran in the same day. The Quran as we know it today was revealed to him over the course of 23 years. So from the first time, when he was meditating actually in a cave on Mount Hira near Mecca, when he was 40 years old, until he died, age 63, he received revelations from God. And when he used to receive these revelations, he would share them with his companions and they would memorize it. Sometimes it would already be written down, but most of the time it was memorized. And we have to imagine that in those days, that was a very common practice because there were a lot of people who were unable to write. So people had this trained skill to memorize and remember and retell the story to other people. Until at some point, a few years after his death, they were collected because people were afraid that the companions of Muhammad who had memorized the revelations, at some point they would all die and then nobody would know the revelations. So in this month of Ramadan, there is also a night that is very special. It's called Laylatul Qadr and it is the night in which they commemorate this event of the first revelation that Muhammad received. Usually it is celebrated on the 27th of the month of Ramadan, although there is no certain date for it. Many Muslims spend that night praying, just like the Prophet Muhammad used to do according to the Hadith. Now what is Hadith? It's something different than the Quran. The Quran, according to Muslims, is the word of God. It is exactly what God revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, to his messenger. But the Hadith is a collection of traditions, of daily practices of Muhammad. Things that he used to say, things that he used to do, these are taken as an example of how a good Muslim should live her or his life. Now, the month of Ramadan starts when the first crescent of the new moon can be seen. That indicates the new month. Remember, we are talking about a lunar calendar. And that is not the same time in all the different countries around the world. So that's why it's not always clear in advance when exactly on which day the month of Ramadan will start and when the fasting will start. That can differ. But once the crescent moon is seen, that's when the holy month starts. And then what? That's when Muslims will not eat and they will not drink nor will they have sexual activity during the daytime, from dawn to dusk. And you have to realize that from dawn to dusk differs also from place to place. So in my country, in the Netherlands, for example, Muslims can break their fast now at around 8.30 p.m. at this time of the year, while in Palestine that's at 10 past 7 And day by day, this also changes. So towards the end of the month of Ramadan, the days will be longer and people will have also to fast a little bit longer until iftar time. Before dusk, in the early morning, Muslims will eat what is called suhoor. This is, let's say, the pre-fasting meal. So that's very early in the morning. 
And then they will pray their first prayer of the day, and this is called Fajr. And even though nowadays we have phones and alarm clocks to wake us up, in Jerusalem they are keeping an old tradition alive. The Musaharati are going around with their drums to wake the people up. Then they will go about their days normally. So they go to work, they go to school, they will pray their prayers at the usual times of the day as normally. But I have to say in Palestine, I do see a shift of activity where people would take a rest in the afternoon and then sometimes sleep a bit before the iftar time. And then in the evening, they'd stay up later, especially in the weekends. I hear, and now when the summer is coming, the Ramadan was here, of course, in the last years. In the summer, it's now moving towards the springtime. But, you know, it's warm here outside, so you hear a lot of sounds, people outside, children playing, and there's lots of activity. Fasting during the month of Ramadan is one of the five pillars of Islam. So these are the five basic tenets of the Muslim religion. The other four I will discuss in another episode, but they are the Shahada, which is the Muslim profession of faith, the Salat, the prayer that you do five times a day, the Zakat, an alms tax or charity for the poor, and the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. So it is one of the five pillars of Islam and therefore you are obliged to take part in it. Not everybody, people who are sick, people who are old, women who are pregnant or nursing, women who are on their period. So there are exceptions. And children, my daughter, for example, she is seven years old. And some of the children in her class are fasting for the first time this year. And she really wanted to try it as well. So the first day of Ramadan, she woke up and she said, I'm going to fast today. And five minutes later, mom, I'm hungry. And, you know, we are not really, reli not really, we are not religious. So I told her, you know, you can have a breakfast now and then you can not eat at school. But I did put her the lunch box because, you know, I'm her mom and I, I don't want her to be uh, hungry and fainting. So she came home, she finished everything in her lunchbox. She had lunch with us. And then when my mother-in-law had the iftar in the evening at 10 past seven, she had another meal. So instead of fasting, I think she had four meals that day. But for children, it's not obliged, although many children want to try and they want to do the same thing as their parents. So what happens when the iftar time comes? The custom is for many Muslims to break their fasting by eating a date, because that is what the Prophet Muhammad used to do. So they are following him in his tradition. Some people drink milk, others drink water, and Often they start with a soup to settle the stomach a little bit after such a long day of not eating anything. Now, during the weekdays, 
my mother-in-law at least, she cooks pretty normal standard food. She's a great cook, so it's always very tasty. But it's mainly during the weekends when family is coming to visit. And that's called Azuma, when you invite people. So then she really does an incredible job of preparing a lot of different dishes of traditional Palestinian food. Good morning. I smell lovely smells from the kitchen. What is happening here? We are cooking rice with the meat, kubbe, shawarma, msakhan, a lot of salads. I see a pot full of big pieces of meat. What kind of meat is it? It's uh, sheep meat. We have a lot of people who are coming today. Maybe we have 35 people will be here. 35 people? How are you going to fit them? Well, this is a habit. We are used to this. Every year, Ramadan is about gathering, inviting people to eat and seeing each other, talking to each other. This is an occasion also. This is a very nice occasion. And are you inviting the whole family or part of the family? We are inviting part of the family because there is no space for all the family. But we are inviting on uh, periods. Yani the first week we invite some of the people. Next week we invite others and we are invited. So tonight there will be the side of uh, your husband, right? Musa's family. Yes, yes, part of them, not all of oh. them. <laughs> still, still only part. And when you said kubba, can you explain what is kubba? It is uh, consists of burgol which is uh, from wheat and onion, small pieces of meat and some spices. We make it in very nice shape and we fry it and it is very delicious and it's part of the Palestinian kitchen. Yeah, it looks a little bit like falafel to me, but then it has a completely different texture. There is this crunchy bite on the outside, but then on the inside you have the meat and the falafel is actually uh, vegetarian. And you also said msakhan. Msakhan is bread, chicken, and onion, and sumac. It's very specific for the msakhan to use sumac, but what is sumac? Sumac is a plant that is planted in Palestine. I don't know if it came by nature here, by any part of the plants of Palestine, or it is planted. But a lot of places now... Because of buildings, sumac is not found. So it is now rare and it's very expensive now. But before, it was founded in every house. And if it's not, the people used to go out and to pick it from uh, the nature. Yani. It was part of the Palestinian culture. It's definitely part of the tradition. Also, you mix it with zatar sometimes. It's a bit of a sour taste it has it's like a berry that you dry and then grind so how many hours will you be spending in the kitchen today hours <laughs> actually i prepare days before because a lot of people are, are coming so it, uh, there is no time for uh, cooking all these uh, things but it's nice yani i'm happy to cook for all these people to have a nice food is something make the atmosphere very nice yeah. so yeah we are looking forward to it it's until 10 past 7 eh? we have to wait so it's still uh, seven hours <laughs> yeah. 
The social aspect is very important during the month of Ramadan. But in the same time, it is also a month of introspection, of meditation, of reading also the Holy Quran. After the iftar meal, many people go to the mosque and they pray the evening prayer. And during the month of Ramadan, the entire Quran is read in the mosque, but also by people at their home. For me, Ramadan is the month of new beginnings. This is the way in which I conceptualize the month. The fasting from drinking and eating is only a symbol for me, a symbol of self-regulation. This is the magical word, I think. To fast is to be able to control yourself, to stop doing something that you do automatically. It's to undergo a process of hunger, which starts at a specific moment during the time between sunrise and sunset, and to be able to hold on with the hunger. It's about patience, it's about tolerance. If I want to go back to what I started to say about Ramadan as a new beginning, for me, Ramadan is an opportunity to make a change, to make a change in life, to stop everything, to calm down, and to go into your inner world, and to take an action in making a difference in things that you will to change in life. This is what Ramadan for me. Ramadan is a challenge. Like for me, as a mom and a working woman, the challenge increases, I think, and takes different forms. Like a mom, I have many responsibilities that I have to do inside the house. And as a working woman, there are so many things that I have to do outside at my work. It makes it so complicated when it comes to doing all that while you're fasting. It makes it harder. And that's the spiritual thing for me. That's the spiritual point that I want to emphasize here. It's not that you have to do many other rituals during the month. It's more like challenging yourself with being able to endure all that. Things that you do like every day and part of your everyday life. But you do it exactly at a moment when you run out of energy. And this is the spiritual moment that I want to talk about. For myself, I started to enjoy this month a couple of years ago when I decided to make it a special month, a month of mindfulness, of cleansing, taking care of my body, taking care of my mind, to create my own rituals. So in this month, I stop using sugar. I don't eat anything with sugar and I stop drinking alcohol. Not that I drink that much, but I do like my glass of wine. I eat little carbs because I feel very bloated when I eat carbs. I eat lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. I drink plenty of water. So I don't fast, but I do think very well about what I eat in the month of Ramadan. I do a meditation every day and I make sure I get exercise. So either I walk or I do my Zumba workout. And you don't know this about me yet, but I'm also a Zumba instructor. And before COVID, I used to train at least two, three days a week with Palestinian women and men. At some point, we started also a mixed group, a Zumba workout. And what you also don't know about me is that I did convert to Islam on paper before getting married. Because my husband here in Jerusalem 
falls under the Israeli rules and laws. And in Israel, there is no civil marriage. So we had to get married in the Islamic court. Even though in Islam, it is possible for a Muslim man to marry a non-Muslim woman, this is not possible in Israel. And I think this is part of the policy of trying to avoid as much as possible that Jewish women would marry Muslim men. They make it very hard. It's not impossible, but you have to convert to Islam. You have to go to the court and then you have to meet this guy called Yossi. There's only one Yossi in the whole country. And there you have to explain why did you convert to Islam. And then only if he gives his okay, you can apply for paperwork and residency. So we had to go through this process And it was quite funny because my husband himself, he's a real atheist. But, you know, he's born with Muslim in his birth certificate. And so are my children. Because here, when you are born, the Israeli Ministry of Interior decides for you what religion you have based on the family you were born in. There is no choice, no option. So, yeah, my children were born as Muslims. Back to the month of Ramadan. So this year, it will continue until around the 12th or the 13th of May. That will depend again on the moon. And when it finishes, there is a feast or a festival. And this will be on the first day of the 10th month. This is the month of Shawal. And this day, it is actually not permitted to fast. It's the only day of the month Shawal that you can't fast Because some women, for example, when they had their period, they had not been fasting for those days. They will make up for those days, maybe in the next month. But on the first of the 10th month, they should not fast. This is the day that Muslims celebrate the end of the month of Ramadan. This is the day where they pray a special prayer. And they are supposed to do that together, not alone, with other Muslims in congregation. And in Palestine, I always hear the six additional takbirs, the Allahu Akbar, from the minaret of the mosque. And this is the Eid al-Fitr, the feast of breaking the fast. This is the day for which people buy their new clothes, and this is the day that they prepare sweets. And I know that in Holland, they actually call it in the Dutch language, the sugar feast. Now, if you told that to anybody here, they'd be looking at you, what are you talking about? It's Eid al-Fitr. But in Holland, maybe because when the Muslims came and they started to have their Ramadan feasts in the 1960s, 70s, people saw that they were eating so much sweets on that day and they started to call it the sugar feast. But it's true, there is sweets involved. And what happens here in Palestine, I don't know in other countries, is that the women usually stay at home and they prepare coffee and tea and sweets and the men go out and they go and visit all their female relatives. So they go see their sisters who are married and they don't live at home anymore. They go to their cousins, their aunts, sometimes friends and neighbors, female neighbors. And usually these visits are pretty short. It's more of a habit, a custom. But it's a tradition, showing your family members that you care and to celebrate the end of the holy month of Ramadan together. 
And now let me take you to our Friday iftar from preparation to eating to the after iftar moments. It's the last half an hour before we start iftar and in the kitchen they are cooking and the last things and mainly the last things is to put the olive oil and the lemon on the salad I think all the warm food is ready we have laid the table upstairs for 35 people and we are doing it outside on the rooftop this is very common in Palestine that you have houses with flat roofs on which you can organize activities and yeah if the family the whole family comes together then you need that space So I'm going to just look upstairs what is going on. Our house is connected with the house of my family-in-law. We live downstairs. Hi, Hadi. And um, they live on the first floor. And we are going up the stairs now to the roof. There's a bunch of kids already here playing around. And yeah, we have three tables in an L shape. And then for the smaller kids, we have a small table with small chairs. And I think that when everybody is here, we just have enough space for everybody to sit. We're waiting. You can see outside from the roof that the neighbors are also going to have guests. They are preparing table, long table outside. And there are people outside trying to get home just before the iftar will start. I can see families nicely dressed up in their cars on the way to the homes where they are invited for the iftar dinners. Louisa, how do you feel? Are you hungry? Yes. Did you fast today? No. Did you try? No. But the other day you tried, right? Yes. How was that? How many hours did you fast? Six hours. All the time in school you didn't eat anything? Yes. And how was that? That was not so easy. How did you feel? I felt hungry. Feel, felt hungry. And why did you do it? Because I want to try to fast and I did just for six hours. Yeah, no, I'm very proud of you. Now I know that you can do without food for six hours. So next time you tell me you're hungry, I'm going to tell you. I think you can wait. <laughs> ah, it looks like the family is arriving. Hi. Yalla, yalla, Evan. Sari. Mama, listen to me. Where are you? 
This is the moment that they have all been waiting for, the Adhan, the call for prayer. Most of them start with water, and then either they eat a date or soup. My mother-in-law prepared a light vegetable soup to start with, and there is a lot of good food. I'm glad she did several salads, and one of my favorite dishes, Fatat al-Makdus, it's with roasted eggplant and then yogurt, tahini, garlic, and roasted bread, roasted pine nuts. Oh, it's so delicious. Some of these family members I haven't seen for over a year because of the corona pandemic and all the lockdowns. Last year we didn't even have any iftars, only with our small family, but not with the extended family. But now we're all vaccinated, so it feels much safer. They are now talking about bringing up the watermelon and the honey melon, the batik and shumam. And for me, this is the signal that the iftar meal is nearly over because my mother-in-law always brings out the melon in the end. We enjoyed the food. We had coffee. We had sweets. Well, I didn't because I'm doing my own Ramadan and I chose not to eat sugar this month. But yeah, it's the end. It's time for the melon. And it's also time to round up this Ramadan episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing more about the month of Ramadan. Maybe you learned something new. And I hope you enjoyed listening to the sounds of the iftar meal. This month, I will produce more Ramadan and Islam-related episodes. They are still in the making. You can always stay informed and enjoy the photos and videos that I share on social media. So if you have a Facebook or Instagram account, then check out Stories from Palestine there. Subscribe or follow the podcast on your podcast player. Subscribe to the mailing list so that you get your weekly reminder in your mailbox. And if you appreciate all the time and effort I spend in making these episodes, then consider a donation to keep me going. There is one link in the show notes of this podcast. You can click that link to reach all the links you need or go to storiesfrompalestine.info. I wish you all a great and inspiring week and Ramadan Mubarak. Yeah.